So we're uh, doing Kingdom Culture for a year, and this, this month we're looking at the topic of the prophetic and uh, believing what God says about us. And often we ask God and we say, tell me, Jesus, what to do. Tell me what to do. What do I need to do to become the man, the woman, the young person that you want me to do? What is it I need to do? And I remember years and years ago, seven years ago, we had a wonderful opportunity to be in a meeting with a, a, a prophetic man, Julian Adams from South Africa, who prophesied some extraordinary things actually about, where, about us in 2007 in the church we were in Essex. And, um, and I came away from it thinking, okay, God, I've heard your voice. I'm going to double my efforts. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to work hard to enter into what you've said. And, uh, and then I read a quote by John Wimber, who led the vineyard movement of churches in the 70s and 80s and, and, and saw those churches really flourish in terms of the kingdom, in terms of healing. And John Wimber said this, one day Jesus said to him, since you can do nothing, how much help do you need? And that question blew my mind open because I realised actually it was about believing Jesus more than it was about trying to do something. Um, I felt that mindset of I've got to work to do something took a number of years to unravel and is still being unravelled. But that's really the thing that Paul says to the Galatian church when he says, how does God supply the spirit? How does God do the miraculous around you? Is it by your works or is it by believing what you heard? And I just felt this morning we're going to talk about believing God and how we enter into the promises of God by believing what he says about us. Um, This church has big promises over it um, and I'm sure maybe take a, how many of you over, even over the weekend received something prophetically from the North Kent people when they were here that you felt there's a prophetic promise for me, a number of you prophetic promises, how many of you probably got stuff from before um, that you've received so how do we enter into those prophetic promises maybe individually and by prophetic promises I mean Not just the moments when a prophetically gifted man or woman speaks over us, but those moments where we read something in the Bible. Because actually, how many of you know you can hear his voice every day? You don't have to wait for the special occasion, the special visit from the special anointed people, because actually we're his sheep and we're anointed special people. And actually you can hear his voice every single day. You can open up the Bible because the promise of God is, my sheep hear my voice. And the Bible is full of outstanding assessments of who we are, that we're a royal priesthood, that we're a holy people, that we're royalty, that we're kings, that we're kings, that we're princes, that we're adopted, that we're sons and daughters of the Most High God, that we're holy, that we're spotless, that we're blameless, that we're without blemish, that we are his ambassadors in the earth. The Bible is full of amazing declarations of who we are. So how do we enter into those things? That's what I want to look at this morning. How to walk in God's prophetic assessment of us. His prophetic assessment of this local church. And some of you will go right back to prophecy spoken over this church in the early 1990s. You are a fruitful vine that goes over the wall. 
I don't know, alluding to the, the, the stuff spoken about Joseph in Genesis. How many of you would have been round when that was spoken? Yeah, a few of you. A fruitful vine that goes over. And God's promise to save whole families goes back then. God blurring the lines of this local church's influence. Even then going into... Uh, one of the first things we did when we moved here was we wanted to connect to prophetic gifting. Prophets. That was the first, almost the first. Number one thing, I want to hear his voice. What's he saying for this local church? The church is founded on the, on, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And that, that while every local church will believe doctrinally the same thing about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what Jesus accomplished through the cross, local churches have mandates from heaven, blueprints from God. And you want to connect actually what is God saying about a people and he said things like extraordinary presence, extraordinary testimony. He spoke about things like uh, influencing this area, impacting SEA team. Recently he talked about 40 people coming to know Jesus in the next, in the next amount of time. We put a time scale on that as three years, only because, of course, eventually 40 people are going to get saved, aren't they? <laughs> So it's good to put a time scale and say, God, we'd love to see that within a three-year period because that would be amazing because that would be more than the church has ever seen. So the church has extraordinary prophetic words over it in terms of blessing this area, seeing the kingdom come, seeing people healed, seeing extraordinary miracles. And we're seeing that and we're entering into that, but there's more to come. So I want to talk about how we enter into God's assessment of us, God's prophetic promises over us, whether it's individually corporately. I want to turn in the Bible to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18. You see, I, even during the worship, I do you know that in Christ you're amazing? That in Christ you're amazing people? That who's in you and who wants to express himself through you is God? That there's enough people in this room to blow up SCA team? <laughs> in terms of bringing the goodness of God to people and a revelation of who Jesus is. There's enough here. Jesus really, when, when you think about it, in the upper room there's 120 and Holy Spirit comes on them. You know, thousands are added on, the, on when Peter, the timid guy who is scared of a slave girl, suddenly is the proclaimer of the gospel. People quaking, saying, what must we do? <laughs> we realise we've crucified the Lord of glory. Thousands are saved, thousands are added, thousands are baptised. On the back of the Holy Spirit meeting with 120, fulfilling the promises of Joel, uh, he'll pour out his spirit on all flesh. And that promise is now being flowing for 2,000 years. He's never stopped fulfilling the promise. All flesh, all flesh. Your men, your women, your young, your old, your slave, your free, all will hear my voice, all will can prophesy dream dreams. You're amazing. You know, even if you'd never ever had the privilege of an opportunity for a prophetic person to speak over your life, there's enough in the Bible and there's enough that the Holy Spirit wants to witness to you through the scriptures for you to know you are incredible. And uh, 
you really are. There's enough power in you to change your family, to impact your workplace. And we're going to learn to walk in those things. That's why we're going to learn to do treasure hunting more and more. Because we're good news to our community. And treasure hunting is such a great thing because we just go out there with no agenda, not inviting anybody to a meeting or to do anything, but just going to say, God knows you, loves you, wants to do you good. And we're going to believe him and go for that. So 1 Timothy 1.18. So Timothy is like a son to Paul. He's someone Timothy, Paul has trained up. Do you know, I love Timothy. Because he, he, Paul has to tell him in 2 Timothy, God didn't give you a spirit of timidity, <laughs> but of power and love and a sound mind. And in, in 1 Timothy, he has to tell Timothy, don't shrink back from those people there teaching false doctrine. Don't shrink back, Timothy. I know you're younger than them. Don't shrink back, Timothy. And what does he use to encourage Timothy not to shrink back, to be all that God had called him to be, to be courageous and bold and strong against opposition? The answer is... This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. I love that, because Timothy, Paul is exhorted and encouraged by Paul not to wage warfare against principalities and powers. He doesn't say... So Timothy, overcome those who are teaching false doctrine, overcome your timidity, overcome your insecurity because of your youth by binding and loosing and shouting at the heavens. Rather, he says to him, Timothy, believe what God has said about you. God has entrusted to you his commission. Now I want you in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. By them you may wage the good warfare. That's what I want to say is to become experientially who we already are in Christ is not about shouting at something, but about believing God and what God has said about us. That's where it really all starts and that's where the rubber hits the road and that's where we begin to enter into who we already really are by believing God. And so what Paul's saying to Timothy in Ephesus, he's saying to Timothy this, Timothy, you're not in Ephesus just having a go. Just have a go, Timothy. See how it works out. Paul is saying you are here because of God's purpose for you here to achieve certain things in this city that were prophesied over you when you were ordained to be a leader in that particular church, in that particular community. In other words, he's saying, look, Timothy, you might be, you might be timid, you might be young, but God's appointed you. And that's what he's saying. God's appointed you. And so, local churches have that over them. You, you might not be the biggest church. You, you might be in the most pluralistic, 
multi-faith area there is on the planet at the moment. You might be the minority in your community believing who Jesus says he is. You might be the only one in your family who believes that Jesus is the Son of God and through Jesus you come to know the Father and get forgiveness of sins. You might be the only believer. But you are appointed there to be fruitful. You're not just in there to have a go and see how it turns out. And how do you overcome all those obstacles? You fight according to the promises of God. I love what one writer says. He says, Christianity is not like war. It is war. Amen. <laughs> it's not like war. Sometimes you need to... If you, if you said, I'm becoming a follower of Jesus, you've just, you've just joined a war. You didn't even know what's going on. You go along your life, and someone tells you about Jesus, the Holy Spirit opens your heart, you realise who he is. Well, you've just been recruited. You've just had your moment like Joshua at the Jordan. Are you with us or against us? Neither of you. You're in my war. You're in my army. You've just been recruited to be a soldier. Christianity isn't like war. It is war. And the way we fight is not like other wars. We believe God. And it's in believing God that we tear down every pretension, every assessment that sets itself up against God. And so, when God speaks, initially what it does is it creates a tension within us. And I think if it's a good, meaty, prophetic word that should be bigger than what we can do in our own strength, it should create a tension within us. The tension is this, how can that be true, God, when this is my current reality? It it should be that God comes with his assessment, and then we look at ourselves... Maybe it's our personality, maybe it's our resources, maybe it's our circumstances, maybe it's our situation, maybe it's our job, maybe it's all those things. And we should then feel, how can this be true when all this is a reality? And that's okay, because that's the thing that drives you to God. But because it's a war, there's another voice that will come in and say, I agree I agree with you. You're so timid. I think he got the wrong one. He spoke to the wrong one. Because there's an enemy in the war who his role is he wants to accuse and he wants to remind you of your circumstances of how impossible they are and he wants to tell you about your past and tell you about how you failed and in the past. He wants to tell you about how your current reality is impossible. And he likes to do that 24-7. Okay, so that's what he likes to do. And so he'll remind you of your limitations. Maybe that's what was happening to Timothy in 2 Timothy uh, 1-7. Timothy, you're too timid, you're too young. You don't have a sound mind, Timothy. You don't think the right thoughts. He wants to undermine heaven's assessment of what heaven has said about about you, about a local church, and about what God's doing in a community. So that's what he wants to do. The prophetic 
when God speaks something over us, maybe for a prophetic gifting, often it doesn't start with who we are right now. It starts with who he sees we are and what he sees we're becoming. Because God dwells outside of time. And so he looks at you now and he sees who you're going to be. And then he speaks to you now about who you're becoming. That's where the prophetic begins. And sometimes that's why we sometimes have to hear the same thing again and again and again. Because the first time he said it, we struggle to believe it. So, the first, one of the first major prophetic words I ever personally received was on our wedding day. And um, Jean Beville, Michelle's uncle, an amazing man of God, apostolic, prophetic, planting churches, hearing God's voice. A man really before his time, a real pioneer <coughs> of the gifts of the Spirit. When in the 1960s and pressing into the 80s, prophesied about us impacting nations, the miraculous, and uh, it was wonderfully accompanied by a moment in the Holy Spirit, in confirmed real sense of wow. I just couldn't. I just couldn't mix it with faith. I thought he's he's talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> So, it's one of those things where you type it out because you value the gift. But it's like you have to say it again seven years later through Julian Adams in uh, this prophetic guy I was talking to you about. And then he got my attention. But I, I reckon that he was working on my heart between 96 and 2007. I reckon for 11 years he was whispering and speaking and doing something, even in the secret place that I wasn't aware of. So when he repeated it again in 2007, I was able to hear a little bit better. It's God's declaration of where we're going and what we're becoming. And so in closing, the last bit I really want to focus on is this thing about believing. I don't think we can underestimate the power of actually believing God and taking God at his word. There's, there's powerful freedom in actually believing God's assessment of who we are. If we want to live powerfully, if we want to overcome opposition, if we want to overcome personal limitation, if we want to overcome false identity if we want to overcome fear, if we want to overcome everything that paralyzes us and holds us back, it all starts with, I've got to call myself by the name that he calls me. I've got to agree with God. I've got to call myself by who he calls me to be. And, and again, it doesn't really matter whether or not you've received a prophetic word necessary yet from a prophet or someone with a prophetic gift, there's enough in the Bible, there's enough in the Bible to go with. These are the signs that will follow those who believe. You know, let's just begin with raising the dead. <laughs> let's just begin, <laughs> let's begin with the lame walking, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing. Let's just begin with that. You know, go into the whole world and make disciples. There's enough prophetic declaration in 
those two verses. And maybe what the prophet then does is gives you an application of where your peace is and how you're going to do it. So we've got to start by saying, that's who I am. These are the signs that will follow those who believe. These are the signs that are not following me yet. Maybe it's because I'm not believing. So I've got to call myself by the name that God calls me. Maybe that's what happened to Abraham. He was Abram, exalted father, gets a name change, becomes Abraham, father of the multitudes. Everywhere he goes, he's confronted with the promise and the unfulfillment of the promise. Hi, Abraham, exalted, you know, father of the multitudes. He's, he's confronted with his limitation, he's confronted with who he isn't yet until he considers him faithful and able to do what God has promised. There's a believing thing. He's confronted with his name. Maybe we should call each other by our prophetic names. Share what God has said about you, so that when someone introduces you, say, hi, amazing hospitality person who changes atmospheres. (laughs) Hi, world changer. Hi, ambassador for Christ, representative of the kingdom of God, bringer of his rule wherever you go, changer of bus stops and supermarkets and queues. Maybe we should do that. Share the prophetic words with one another. Keep yourself accountable, not for, yes, yeah, accountable to not do sin, but actually we're called to a higher thing than that. So I think that's what we've made accountability, just so that we're accountable, so that we don't sin. And I'm not saying not sinning isn't important. Of course not sinning is important. But there's also accountability to the prophetic callings of God. To what God has called in you and what God is calling through you. You raised the dead this week? Blind seeing this week? Lame walking this week? The deaf hearing? Lepers getting cleansed? And hold you accountable to that. That you might overcome every doubt that stops you seeing the signs that follow those who believe. That's an accountability group, isn't it? <laughs> Timothy, or not Timothy, another great one is Gideon in uh, Judges 6. I can find Judges 6. See, the Bible is such an amazingly inspired book. Because I think if we wrote it, we wouldn't have put these people in. We would have cut out Moses' bit where Moses says, I can't speak. And we would have put in something like, yeah... God, send me to Pharaoh, I'm ready. We would have, we would have edited it. We would have uh, got rid of Gideon's multitude of testing God because he feels so weak and we'd have put a hero in there who gets it quickly. So, Gideon. Midian is attacking Israel. They've been, they've been faithless to God. The Midianites have come in to press them towards God, the people of God are hiding in caves, they've lost their sense of identity, their sense of calling, their sense of greatness, they're living in fear, and God comes to a man called Gideon through 
an angel and says, The Lord be with you, O mighty man of valour. Or, the Lord be with you, mighty warrior. Gideon is not a mighty warrior, okay? Gideon is terrified of, of, of Midian. He's absolutely petrified. And Gideon has enough reasons why God shouldn't use him. Okay? The Lord is with you, mighty man. And so he has a couple of questions. Why? Why is all this happening? If, if you're with us, God, why are the circumstances so awful? Uh, if you're with us, God, where are all the wonderful deeds and the things that you did when you took the people out of Egypt? And then he has his personal reasons, arguing with God. My clan or my family is the weakest and I'm the least in my whole family. Okay, so God has come with this assessment, mighty man, mighty warrior. Gideon comes in, I'm in the least family, and I'm the least in the least family. So he starts to argue with God. And God says, go in the strength you have. And we know the story. He wants to test it out a bit, just to check God's with him. Remember, this is life or death stuff. You know, you're going to go against Midian, they've got camels, they're a mighty military force. You know, we know the story, he lays it, the, 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 the skin down, if it's wet, anything else is dry, then he knows God's with him. And then he says, oh, I'm not quite sure if you're with me or not. Now I want the skin to be dry and everything else wet, then I'll know you're with me. So he's testing it out, he's checking. I think God, do you know, I think God's okay with that. I think God's okay on that Saturday morning that we were here trembling before we did treasure hunting. <laughs> We were the mighty men and women who were bringing good news to Plumstead and we were shaking in our boots and, and I saw the weather report on the Friday night and if you'd have seen me, you wouldn't have found someone rebuking the rain. You would have found a timid guy saying, oh, let it rain. <laughs> right? <laughs> let it rain, God. We're not ready yet. Let it rain. Alan said, if it's raining tomorrow, we won't go out because I, I want you to have a good experience of your first treasure hunt. I don't want you to get all wet and people don't like to stop when you're wet. Oh God, it's, it's, it's 100% likely to rain at 11. She <laughs> wouldn't say that. You turn up because you know, because you know in your heart that the gospel has got to flow out of the church. And so you stand there and you know it's the right thing to do, but you can quake like Gideon and you can be nervous like Timothy and God's not that worried about whether or not you were the strongest on the block. He's just interested in, well, you're here, you're going to have a go. And he can use that. He says to Gideon, Gideon's got thousands of soldiers and he says about the thing if they lap the water or drink the water like this, and he reduces the army of Israel to 300 and says, I can work with that. Because now when the victory comes, they will know that it was nothing to do with them, but what I said and the fact I was with them. I think God likes that. He likes that. Sometimes we're waiting for an emotional feeling that we're the courageous warrior. When all he's looking for us sometimes just to turn up and say, Jesus, I can't. I'm looking at you. You're the author of faith. I'm quaking, but I'm going to go. And then you come back and you, you hear the stories 
Jason seeing the picture of the guy in the tracksuit stretching, you know, treasure hunting, get prophetic words of knowledge, then you go out and find the treasure. Goes up there, the guy's in his tracksuit stretching. Jesus has just set up the whole thing. Tim saying last week about going to the co-op and looking for a woman who's got a blue scarf, pushing a trolley. And, and there she is. And we go to the train station, yellow coat. We know the name of her son. We know what she's suffering with. She gets the shoulder, I think she gets it loosened up. Jesus has just set us up. And there were other accounts. 40 people get to hear good news from a bunch of ordinary believers who just said, all right, Jesus, this has got to flow out. This has got to flow out. So it starts with believing his assessment. Joel 3, 10. Let the weak say. Let the weak say, I'm strong. Let the weak, I'm not denying I'm weak. But then you're coming and saying, what do you say about me? You say the prophetic gifts, the words of knowledge are as much as when we go, as when we gather. And so let the weak say, I'm strong. Let those who say, I can't hear his voice say, I can hear his voice. Let the timid say, I'm bold. It starts with calling ourselves by what he calls us. The prophetic gives us access to a new set of expectations about who we really are and what we can really do. I'm really excited about the days we're living in. I'm really excited about what's possible as by his grace he opens the eyes of our heart that we begin to get an inkling of just how amazing we really are and what we carry in Christ. That Christ is in us, the hope of glory. That he that's in us wants to speak through us. That you don't actually have to be that strong or that bold. That it's not about superstars or those who have got it all together. It's about ordinary people, us, believing God, believing that we can hear his voice and that we're designed to be a blessing wherever we go. And we begin to believe that and we begin to step into that and we begin to grow in that. And then the stories begin to multiply. Wow, if that's a, if that's a beginning harvest, God, of those kind of stories of 40 people in one hour... What's going to happen over a period of time, over months and years? Could it be that the church, not just us, but the church could change the spiritual atmosphere of a whole community? Could it be that simple steps of obedience, empowered by the Holy Spirit, relying upon God, believing his prophetic assessment, could it be that you could change the whole climate of an area? Could it be that you could change society? Not even just the one, not just our generation, think multi-generational. Think Hebrews 11. Not all of Hebrews 11 saw in their day what was promised, but they inherited along with the ones who were to come, who actually inherited could it be that by believing God now, your reward is connected to generations to come? That you get a slice of what's to come? That you get to meet him, so you were part of that pioneering generation, and there were other generations who came, and they saw X, Y, and Z, huge things maybe, but when you get your reward, you get connected to them? The gen- a multi-generational thing. 
That it's not just about us in our moment, but us, us living multi-generationally. There's a picture Alan had of an oak tree as it grew and matured. Maybe in a hundred years' time, it was sheltering many. But we were part. We were the acorn. Let me close with this. The key to freedom, the key to life, the key to overcoming opposition, limitation, weakness, fear, anything that paralyzes you, is believing God and not believing what you feel. Now, what you feel is real and it's genuine weakness, but it's not the greatest truth about you. The greatest truth about you and about us is what God says about us. That's the greatest truth. There might be facts, but there's also a higher thing that's truth. Who's Jesus calling us? What's Jesus doing? What's the author saying? What's the one who gives faith saying? It starts with you believe, then you see. It starts with I choose to believe you, God, and then we see. In that sense, Gideon's believing was he turned up for the battle. He turned up and listened to the strategic instructions of the king that said, this is how you're going to do it. And God was very kind to Gideon. He goes into the Midian camp and overhears someone who has a dream. And the dream says, Israel's going to overtake us. It fills Gideon with fresh courage. So as they run down with their lamps and they're blowing their horns, they've got fresh courage from God because he knows what we're like. He knows we're but dust. And that's why he reminds us. That's why he lovingly cares for us. And we see it all through the different stories. It starts by saying, God, you are not overestimating me and what you can do in and through me. You have not overestimated me, God. You have not overestimated what's possible. This might be unprecedented. And we may never have seen it before, but you have not overestimated me and you have not overestimated what you can do in me, through me, for my city. You have not overestimated me. And then you begin thinking, acting, planning, walking, talking in line with what he says about you. You let his assessment of you be the highest assessment of you. I'm a holy person. I'm blameless and spotless. I'm completely free of all accusation. My past has been forgiven and my future is secure. Christ is in me, the hope of glory. He can come out through me and bless the world around me. You begin to line yourself up with heaven's assessment, biblical truth, making declarations about who you are. Give yourself. Give yourself to what he places in front of you. Don't wait for the the magical day when it will all appear. Because let me say, the journey is as important as the destination. It's in the journey and on the journey that you find him opening bits and pieces up for you. You have to get on the journey. You have to say, what's using Nehemiah? Nehemiah said, focus on the piece of wall that's in front of you. Hold the trowel, hold the sword, repair the wall in front of you. Give yourself to that. Work hard on that. It's going to invite us to stand and uh, we're going to finish in a moment or two. just want to remind you again of this negativity fast. I, I don't think there's anything better probably we can do for 40 days between March and April in terms of overcoming 
assessments and mindsets that war against who we really are in Christ. I say sign up for it. Give yourself 40 days. It will totally revolutionise how you see yourself, your circumstances and the future. Yeah, God, we just come to you right now, God. We thank you that we're alive in days like now. We thank you for what you've entrusted to us right now. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the, for the strategies that you've given us, for the things that we're going to walk into. We thank you for all the people that, Jesus, you want to touch and bless and do good to, that we're going to be co-labouring with you and seeing that happen. We thank you for your heart for SC18. We thank you for your heart for Woolwich and Plumston and Thamesmead and Welling and Bexley. We thank you for your heart for these communities. We thank you for the, your compassion and mercy that you see the people and that you love the people and that you want to do the people good. And we thank you that you want to do the people good through us, God. We thank you that we are ambassadors. We're your apostolic people. We're a sent people to establish the ways of heaven wherever we go. We're a people who bring justice. We're a people who release peace into environments. We're a people of hope that release and speak hope into hopelessness. That God, we have solutions to impossible things by the wisdom of God. That God, there's no sickness that cannot, um, that, that will not bow its knee to you as we go with expectation to see things happen and see things change. God, we just want to believe who you are and believe your assessment, God. say finally you you won't necessarily feel it but you believe it and then you see it sometimes we place feelings above everything and we say it's not true until I feel it but actually we submit scripture and say it is true and then my feelings will follow that 